Hey, everybody. Melissa McKenzie, publisher of The American Spectator here at The Spectacle. And of course, my co-host, senior editor of The American Spectator, Scott McKay. And we have a special guest today, Jeffrey Lord, contributing editor of The American Spectator. So it is a it is a family uh, affair today. And um, Scott has some questions for Jeff because lots of been, things have been happening in Trump world. And Jeff has all the answers. So over to you, Scott. Well, you know, of course, last week uh, we had somewhat of a shocking thing happen, which is this judge in New York City, this Arthur Ingoron, or however you pronounce this dude's name, uh, goes and hits Donald Trump with a $355 million fine for a um, civil, it was a civil trial on fraud. And essentially, if you have, you've been under a rock for the last year, you don't know about this. Um, essentially, what Trump did was he wrote down uh, valuations of certain properties that he held in collateral for bank loans, um, you know, one of which was Mar-a-Lago, and, and then there were some other properties. Um, the state of New York which was not a party to any of the transactions involved, has decided that those valuations uh, were uh, inaccurate. And because of that, Donald Trump committed fraud against banks who loaned, them mo loaned him money. Now, the banks did their own underwriting on the loans, came up with different valuations of the collateral property, gave the loans anyway based on their own evaluations. Trump paid off the loans. The banks made money and were happy. And yet the state of New York has jumped in and decided that they're going to fine him for fraud. Um, Like, I, I've been sitting here trying to figure out what the appropriate response to this and like the magnitude of the business um uh evacuation from new york city that ought to happen as a result of new york new york city and new york state that are and the only thing i can think of is like the fall of saigon um <laughs> is what is what this ought to be um but i you know I, and the, the the latest is that trump is going to have to put up something like a half a billion dollars uh in order that he can appeal this case uh and you know he's going to have this money tied up for God knows how long um, before. I mean, clearly this is not going to stand. But how much? How much money gets tied up for how long before this happens? Anyway, um, Jeff is, uh, I guess, our resident expert of all things Trump. So we wanted to bring you in and uh, and have you sort of pick through the wreckage of this this um, travesty of justice that happened in New York. Uh, first, Jeff. Like, let me just, I, mean, I gave you my thoughts. What do you think, like, what do you think of, of this? And what are the implications of a case like this? Well, I think, first of all, this is going to turn out to be a disaster for the uh, judge and the, the New York legal system. Um, quite clearly, it, it seems they are corrupt. They hate Donald Trump. And so they're using the judicial system to try and bring him down. And I may not be in the real estate business, but anybody who's known anybody 
in the real estate business knows that when they give estimates of the worth of a property, it's an estimate. And of course, they're going to try and make as much money as they can. So their, their uh, estimate is usually on the sunny side, as uh, I think it's the, the guy with the shark tank, uh, what's his name, Kevin Leary, said, everybody in real estate does exactly this. This is this is how it happens. And then you negotiate, you know, pro and con back and forth. This is the same judge, by the way, who said that Mar-a-Lago was worth $18 million. And as uh, Sean Hannity you know, has pointed out- Mar-a-Lago worth $18 million. Yeah, and I've been there. Suffice to say, I may not know anything about real estate, but it ain't worth uh $18 million, it's worth infinitely more. And as Sean Hannity has pointed out, nearby in Palm Beach, there is a vacant lot on the beach that is going for, I don't know, 20, 200 million. I mean, some enormous amount of money uh, that far exceeds what is at Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago is an interesting place. It was built by Marjorie Merriweather Post. She was the heiress to the Post serial fortune. And the place is incredible. It's huge, beautiful, beautiful swimming pool. Um, it, it's all done in the style of Spanish architecture. Uh, clearly, this is worth big bucks, and the judge just totally blew it. But it's just become obvious, to, to keep it short here, that this is all about getting Donald Trump. And I think that the people who are doing this are going to pay a price for it. Alan Dershowitz has already said the Attorney General of New York should be disbarred. And I think that kind of pressure is going to increase. Well, the thing is, is that do you think, uh, you know, if you're a rational actor and and this stands, you know, this calls into question every real estate transaction in New York and has implications for all, you know, deals like this. Yes. Bank bankers can't be happy with this kind of outcome. And no. and so, no. like, it just seems absurd on the face of it. It's kind of like, you know, trying to talk about a pirate vi victory, you know, like, okay, so you won, you get uh, maybe 500 million of Trump's money that he would never, the thing is that bothers me is that, he pays this money, this poison pill to appeal this case. Right. And he has to pay the money in order to appeal. So like the, the way the judge wrote all this is insane. And the likelihood of him ever getting that money back is slim nil and zero. And everybody knows it. It's just basically a grift scheme on a part of the state of New York. But if they did this to anybody else, like if for the other kind of um, rich people who are breathing this rarefied air, this is going to make them uh, really nervous too about ever doing this kind of business. And, and that that has already started to manifest itself with, of all people, I found this fascinating, truckers. And yeah. truckers are saying that uh, they are not going to, uh, carry goods and service, you know, the kind of things that uh, you, you expect these big behemoth uh, trailer trucks uh, to carry, they're, they're not going to go into New York City anymore uh, to protest all of this. Well, you know, that, that certainly has gotten a lot of New Yorkers nervous, and it's caused the governor of New York 
to try and reassure the business community that no, they're not going to be targeted if they have the wrong politics. Uh, this is this is a big problem. And she herself had said a few weeks ago, when when sort of talking about the subject of all these New Yorkers fleeing to Florida, she said, "Look, if you want to go, get out, get a jump on a bus mm -hmm. and go." Mm -hmm. uh, well, people are doing just that. And, you know, one of the political aspects of this is when you get rid of taxpayers, um, who is going to pay the personal income taxes that fund uh, public unions in New York State? Uh, the political supporters of the Democratic Party, how are teachers going to get their uh, their money if people are leaving and refusing to pay the, the taxes? Uh there's a lot going on with this, and uh, we have we have by no means heard the last of this. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a well-established pattern to answer your question, Jeff, and it's you get federal money for it. You know, that's how when it, the cities who have run the middle class and the tax base off over the last 20, 25 years, you know, I mean, it's really kind of a Barack Obama thing that you federal grants pay to pay to tell. I don't know that that works at the state level. Um, so I think your point is correct, but Melissa, let me, let me throw something, make it a little bigger. This is not just a question of who's going to want to do real estate deals in New York. This is a question of who's going to want to do real estate deals with banks in New York all over the country, because you're talking about your bank of America's and your chases and like the big New York banks that operate all over America doing national deals, no one will want to put themselves in a position to have the state of New York exercise any jurisdiction over their financial transactions at all. And that, I mean, you can expand this up. What does that do for, for example, hedge funds? What does this do for the stock market, right? New York is supposed to be a financial capital. And yet, you're better off in the courts of Ugadugu or Johannesburg or Almaty than you are in New York City. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody realizes just how bad this can be for the state of New York. And the exactly. thing about it is, is that the vast majority of America, even people that don't vote for Trump, will look at a case like this, have the hair on the back of their, their necks stand up, and like have zero sympathy for the state of New York when the economic calamity that this brings on comes because they deserve it. Right. Well, you know, well, Scott, the thing is, is so like I'm from Michigan, Detroit used to be, have the highest um, per capita income um, zip codes in the country. Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, 1968, the riots happened. After that, there was, corrupt leaders, corrupt leaders, corrupt leaders. Coleman Young was there, stole the money, and they did exactly that. They sent in federal grants over and over again. Detroit has gone to seed. And one of the things that I said during COVID was that the games that these big city mayors are playing with the COVID shutting everything down, letting BLM run rampant, doing this kind of stuff that's just happening to Trump, both in Atlanta, in New York, all in DC, um, 
the long-term consequences of it, once you stop a ball, an economic ball rolling in places where it's a big powerhouse like that and the corruption takes hold, reversing it is nearly impossible. And Detroit never has recovered. And I don't expect right. New York ultimately or San Francisco to recover at the rate that they're going. Now, they're different, bigger cities, coastal cities with a lot to offer. Jeff, before um, we, you know, I want to stay back on the Trump topic here. So Trump, this isn't the only thing that Trump is facing. Just today, um, what's her face who claimed to have been raped in some, you know, changing room somewhere? Um, said that they were going to sue him again. And um, and why not? Because with a, a rigged system, you know, it'll be a constant money machine. We've got the Fannie Willis thing. Actually, I thought that Atlanta, um, the, that, that court case was the most dangerous to Trump because if he got indicted and, you know, um, he could be taken off the um, ballot in Georgia, swing state, and I think potentially North Carolina, I can't, I keep forgetting this. There's two states that if you are a convicted felon, you can't be on the ballot. And um, so the civil case is, you know, just about taking his money, but these, this criminal case is about t taking his ability to get votes in two states away. Um, what do you think are the status of the rest of these lawsuits and how's the Trump world people dealing with that? Oh, I think, you know, it's going to be a case by case basis here. Uh, but I, I really do think that the political effect of this, which we've already started to see, is they backfire. Uh, when he gets indicted, his poll numbers go up. I mean, I, I confess I'm surprised. I've never seen anything like this. It's very unusual. But uh, it's very clear in this episode with the truckers is uh, a perfect example of it, is that they just feel... You, you know, that this is wholly unfair, that they themselves could be targets and they're going to stand up for him. And I think that, you know, the sentiment, I mean, I'm talking to you from my home in the middle of Pennsylvania. You drive around here and there are Trump signs all over the place. Uh, I don't I haven't seen a single sign for Joe Biden, much less any Nikki Haley or any Republican uh, other candidate who might have been thinking about doing this. It's all Trump. And uh, I, I think the message is that we could be in for a uh, a landslide of sorts in November. I mean, we have a long way to go, and I don't like to project out too far. I always tell the tale that uh, uh, when I was in seventh grade, not to date myself, but, uh, you know, I was a political geek even then. And uh, I went off to junior high school one fine November morning in 1963, and the political gossip was whether President Kennedy was going to face Governor Nelson Rockefeller of New York or Senator Barry Goldwater from Arizona. By the time I got out of junior high school that day at 2.30 in the afternoon, we were learning, all horrified, of course, that President Kennedy had been assassinated in Dallas, and it turned the whole political world inside out and upside down. It made Lyndon Johnson president. It created this enormous wave of sympathy for the Kennedy family. It elected Bobby Kennedy to the U.S. Senate, uh, et cetera. You know, and the lesson is don't get ahead of yourself here. Um, you know, good Lord, just in our recent lifetime, we go to bed in a peaceful world and the next morning we wake up to find that uh, Ukraine has been invaded by Vladimir Putin. 
And then a few weeks after that, you know, October 7th, all of a sudden we're learning that uh, Hamas has invaded Israel. So uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing not to get too far out here. But as this stands at the moment, I think that this is backfiring big time on the people who do this. And I think there are going to be legal consequences for some of them. Well, it's funny. I saw, I can't remember where, who saw, who said it, but they said if they put Trump in jail, um, he'll get a hundred percent of the black vote. Somebody said, and the, <laughs> and the thing is, is that I think this kind of relentless, meritless persecution um, has, has just galvanized people who would normally just be yes. tired of Trump's nonsense is how they would view it. Now, the interesting thing to me is, is that, um, you know, under uh, and undercurrent of all of this is what happened on January 6th and all of the prisoners who are there and then Nelvani and Russia getting killed and people making the analogy analogy between the Biden administration and Putin killing his political enemies and um, a, a fair number of people on the right uh, highly offended Jonah Goldberg amongst one of them he's on a rampage on Twitter right now because he's so upset with that and how it's just unthinkable and you know that the thugs and the stupid people who are stooges on January 6th deserve to be in you know what I mean like there's this real kind of venom towards um, people who were just exercising their rights and literally walking through the, you know, the Capitol and staying between stanchions, you know, and oh my, my goodness, they deserve to be in prison for 15 years or like Tariq, whatever his name is from New York, 16 years. And he wasn't even in DC on the day of the, of the, um, you know, kind of right. protests. And so there's, there's this kind of real sense of injustice happening, but it doesn't seem to be deterring the Biden administration in the least. What do you, why do you think so? Well, I, I do think that we have this curious phenomenon of they accusing Trump of what they themselves are doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has been no other administration in all of American history that has uh, tried to force uh, the president's leading political opponent into jail. That's the Biden administration that's doing this and uh, going after Trump supporters and all of this sort of stuff. I mean, this is seriously bad news. This is an abuse. And I, I had to laugh the other day. We, we see Hillary Clinton saying that that Donald Trump is an authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, did Donald Trump imprison her? No. Right. <laughs> Were there grounds? Yes. Did he do it? No because he didn't think it was the right thing to do. So uh, th this is gonna be, I, I think we have a serious problem in the American system here. What we've got are uh, a bunch of elites all across the board, you know, in the political world, the legal world, academia, the media, et cetera. And they have at core very authoritarian beliefs and uh, they wanna silence all sort of opposition. You know, and it's interesting, particularly since we're all with the American Spectator, that this was one of the reasons in the long ago and far away why the American Spectator came to be in the first place, because young Bob Tyrrell, you know, looked around at the media and saw all these liberals, just like his friend Bill Buckley did with the creation of National Review. 
and this has gained steam over the decades and you know god bless rush limbaugh and all of talk radio and now fox news and now newsmax where i am um the world is changing and and resisting and the people on the other side don't like it <laughs> well you you need to know that you are writing for the we are consistently in the top 10 most dangerous uh publications the american spectator jeff can wow. you believe that and yeah the most censored um and apparently most hated we're you know, Google News won't even list us. And um, when all of the, you know, as all of this um, information is coming out about the censorship by the government, the American Spectator is in the top 10 every time. And we're just a tiny little drop in the puddle of political news. You know, it's like, why do they hate us so much? But I think it's because uh, guys like you, guys like Scott, uh, we are free and we, we're writing the truth and we're free about what we write and so like you know they booted you off of cnn and so now you're at newsmax um of course you have a forever per perch at the american spectator uh and that won't happen here um but it's happening everywhere else and um so you know we just got to keep keep on the fight all this right is well what this is what they are about and uh our, our our founder, God bless him, really had a sense of stamina. I mean, there was a time, this is before we were tied to the American Spectator, uh, in the 1990s in the Clinton era, when uh, the Clintons really did go after the American Spectator and tried to shut it down. And I think the Justice Department was involved and all of that kind of stuff. Uh they just they just uh, really they really think that they are entitled to control the flow of information in this country. And uh, we're not going to let them do it. No. Nope. Yep. Our Emmett Terrell Jr. was investigated by the FBI and DOJ during Clinton administration and hauled before, you know, panels and all the same thing. It's a, it's the same old thing. So, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us. And um, uh, so for all of you who are listening, uh, you're getting news that you can't get anywhere else. Thank you, Jeff, for writing about everything within the in the Trump uh, world. You've got a direct access that um, we're lucky to have at the American Spectator. So thank you all for listening. Like and subscribe. You can find Jeff both on Twitter, now X, and also at Newsmax, and of course at our pages at the American Spectator. And I have my own podcast now. Oh, do you? Lord with Jeffrey Lord. <laughs> really? Where can people get that? Oh, I think it's at Apple and iHeart and, you know, the usual places. It's put together, thankfully, by my friends on Team Hannity, and uh, they really do a professional job with it. You know, one of Sean's radio producers, uh, is in charge of uh, all the technical stuff. And, you know, I just sit here and go through the podcast. Sometimes I have guests, sometimes it's just me. Okay, what's it called again? The Word of the Lord with Jeffrey Lord. <laughs> <laughs> My, My favorite day is. for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seems a little sacrilegious, Jeff, but all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. You guys can all go look up Jeff's podcast, too. Thank you for listening today, and we will talk to you next time.
Thank you.